Hello team and welcome to episode 376 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Emily Zorn. Emily is a registered dietitian and health coach who helps people find confidence in their food choices and learn how to trust their body instead of focusing on the scale for validation. With the endless diets that you can follow and the endless conflicting opinions on those diets, it can make the world of nutrition a daunting and complicated place. But I can assure you that it doesn't have to be that way. And simplifying your nutrition is exactly what Emily and I discussed today. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to create nutritional balance that allows you to get your results without losing your life in the process, why intermittent fasting might not be the right approach for you, along with some of the worst dieting advice and protocols that Emily has ever come across. So without further ado, Emily Zorn. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing so well. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Elliot. I am really excited for our conversation today. I am equally as excited and really looking forward to getting into it. And before I do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? For sure. So my name is Emily Zorn. I'm a registered dietitian and health coach, and I started my career in the sports nutrition field. So working with collegiate and professional athletes for five years, helping them fuel to better their performance. And then once COVID started, I decided to start my own business. So that's what I do now. It's been about three years and I do virtual nutrition coaching still for some athletes, some active adults with the same goal of fueling for performance, for health. But I also now work with clients who are just looking to not diet anymore, just have some answers and direction of what does it look like to eat healthy for me and then support them on their journey towards doing that for the long term. So that's what I do now. I also have a podcast myself. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. It's called RDs versus BS. And we call out the BS out there when it comes to nutrition. So that's me and that's what I do. That's incredible. And I think that you've taken a path that really suits you well. It's something that you can clearly tell that you're super passionate about as well. And I'm keen to hear where this passion came from. Where did it all begin when you were younger? Were you in sports? As you mentioned, you were in kind of sports performance, sports nutrition. Did it all start there? Good question. So I always did sports growing up. I'll be honest, I was not very good. I didn't even make the basketball team my second year of high school, but I always really enjoyed exercise and movement. And it just hit me one day that I have this passion for nutrition, but I cannot truly help people be healthy without focusing on that exercise piece as well. And sports nutrition was the perfect combination of both of those. So that's where the passion of you know, learning the science behind all of it really came from. Um, and while I'm not great at sports myself, I love watching sports. So I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and it's a big sports town. So our basketball team, baseball, American football, we love it all. So I just always loved sports and sports nutrition was a really great way to Combine two things that are very important. You know, you can't really be healthy without the nutrition piece and the exercise piece together. And how's your personal journey with nutrition been? Has it been free of challenges or has it been something that you've been able to take to quite easily? Really good question. So for the most part, I'd say it's been pretty, pretty good. Like it's been fun 
being excited about nutrition, going to school about nutrition, learning the ins and outs of it. I will say my own personal challenge almost came from knowing too much, especially in college where we're talking about BMIs, we're talking about fat gain, we're talking about calories, all of these things. And as a 18 to 19 year old young person, I took that very seriously and I got really, really strict on my calories and I wouldn't eat carbs and all of this stuff that was going completely down the wrong path. It was not healthy. But actually, once I graduated college, I got away from the academic part of nutrition a little bit. And I was able to put it all into context and realize that what I'm doing is not very healthy. And that's where my passion comes for. I talked about the sports nutrition side, but helping people just know what it means to eat healthy and not have to diet. That's where that piece comes from. Because I experienced that myself of just being wrapped up in the tracking and calories and being super strict and restricting myself so much. So that's been my biggest struggle. But luckily, that was now, gosh, seven years ago. So now I'm on a path where I feel I feel very strongly about having that balance. Like I do eat very healthy. My husband's also a dietitian, so we're in a two dietitian household. Oh wow. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're all about balance too. We got ice cream last night. You know, there's gotta be that balance. Is at least for us, we feel very strongly about that. So try to practice what I preach there. Yeah, I saw the Baskins and Robins on your Instagram page, so I can absolutely yes. <laughs> vouch for that as well. And it's great that you've been able to go through that journey. And that's something similar to myself. At one point, I was super obsessive about health and fitness. I was the guy who would spend hours and days in the gym and be super happy to do so, track every single calorie, track every single macro. And now I've kind of come full circle, you know, I've not gone to the super relaxed end, but I've gone somewhere in the middle where I think most people would find a lot of joy, a lot of happiness and a lot of health as well. So what were some of the key steps to you getting yourself there? Because I know it's not an easiest journey to take a step back, to take your foot off the gas from that perspective. So how did you navigate going from super wrapped up in all these things to being quite free and quite flexible? It's a great question. So I think the biggest thing was just proving to myself that if I ate bread, if I ate carbs, if I didn't track my calories, that the worst case scenario wouldn't happen. And at the time for me, in my mind, the worst case scenario was I would gain a bunch of weight. I would go totally out of control. I wouldn't be able to do the things I love, which is hiking and walking and running and things like that. And it didn't happen, right? It, it didn't happen. I actually had more energy. My weight stabilized. I felt more focused and that's when it really clicked for me, even though theoretically I knew when people eat the right amount of calories, when they eat a balanced diet, they feel better. But for some reason, it didn't click in my brain that that's what would happen for me. So I try to put my mind where my clients are in that realm, because I can understand if you've tracked and have restricted for your whole life, it's scary. It's hard to believe that the worst case scenario won't happen for you, but it was really good going through that myself. So now I can put myself in people's shoes who are feeling the same way. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges there is that when you've had so much success 
from those kind of dysfunctional behaviors, there's the temptation to keep going with them because you're like, they gave me so much. They gave me my dream physique or my all or nothing mindset helped me get that promotion or my crazy work ethic where I have no other balance in my life allowed me to succeed in my entrepreneurial endeavors, right? And the challenging thing is, is that sometimes when you can see a habit or a behavior that actually is disadvantageous, it doesn't give you much from it. There's still the temptation to keep going because of comfort zone and other psychological things that are going on. But when something is going so well in terms of, well, it's actually got me all the results I wanted. That's a whole nother ball game of trying to get rid of because you're like, now I have to find a new way of being successful. Or maybe I need to look at success in a different way, right? Ooh, a hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head. And I think, you know, as two people in the health and fitness realm, that is something that we have to keep in mind constantly when talking to working with people, talking to clients is that it's not just about the nutrition. It's not just about the exercise. There's this mental component that is so, so important that we have to keep in mind. A lot of times it is that mindset change. You know, if you're going to try to train for a competition, a physique competition, you've got to be in a certain mindset. But if you're trying to find a way to just be healthy and live in the long term and still have a body that you're proud of, that takes a different kind of mental focus. So yeah, it's very important to know where the person is, know what their goals are and know, is this a short term goal? Is this a long term goal? And take care of their mental health as well. Yeah, that leads me on to a really important question I want to start with. Obviously, as a nutritionist, your primary focus is going to be on nutrition. And as a health and fitness coach, you would think my primary focus is on nutrition, fitness, maybe a bit of sleep and hydration. But a lot of the time, it's also psychology, being someone's friend, being someone's therapist, and all these different types of things. So how much weaving in do you do of the mindset piece when it comes to nutrition because of as we've seen, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, this is the right thing to eat or quote unquote right thing to eat. This is the thing that would be best for your body. But there's another thing to then implement it. And I think a big part of that comes down to the person's mindset, their psychology, and a lot of other trauma and stuff in the background that contributes to that, right? So how much of those things do you mesh together in the work that you do? A lot. So when we go to school to become dietitians, they barely touch on that at all. It's all about learning the anatomy, learning the metabolism, digestion, all of that, which is great. That's very important. But once I started my career and started working with people, I realized the actual nutrition piece, the knowledge, it's less than 50% of what is, uh -huh. is needed, right? Like the knowledge, it's important. But after that, they know it. it and just knowing it doesn't mean that that's going to help people put it into practice. And it's a lot more complicated than that. So as I was realizing this, I'm starting my career, I'm working in sports. And then especially once I started my private practice, I realized there's this piece I'm missing and I'm not a therapist and I want to stay within my scope. So I realized I need a little bit of something more beyond the nutrition knowledge to really help my people. And so I decided to become a certified life coach, which doesn't require a lot, you know, I don't have to go to school and get a degree for that. But it was a pretty intense few months. And that really helped me just get out of the nutrition only mind and helped see people as a whole and to recognize things like when we're talking, maybe they're saying like, yeah, it's it's going okay. And not just leaving it at that, being able to ask those questions and get deeper and deeper 
And that has helped me do more on the mindset and emotional side, which is super important. And I will say there have been many times with my clients where we get to a point where I recognize, like you mentioned trauma earlier, there's some trauma going on and they maybe aren't seeing a therapist. And I'll recommend that they do because I never want to get outside my scope. Just like I don't want other people who aren't dietitians giving specific nutrition advice all the time. Right. So yeah, really try to stay in my scope and do the best I can to support people holistically using that life coaching training a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely less than 50% is the actual nutrition knowledge. More, more so would be taking care of them mentally, emotionally, and being their support person. Yeah, for sure. And I see that in the work that I do as well. And I'm glad that I've gone through my own journey with therapy and all those different types of things. This has given me an opportunity to be able to speak about those things, obviously not from a therapist perspective or an expert, but just by someone who's gone through it and someone who can actually talk to them about some of the challenges they're experiencing and be like, okay, this is, you know, what helps me. This is what worked for me. But I think back to when I was qualified, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was, it was like, there is nothing to do with mindset, psychology, or anything like that whatsoever weaved into the qualification which is pretty insane considering if you don't have that piece it's like it's not necessarily impossible because obviously you can do a lot with people by just guiding them on what to do but it's not just about the guidance it's the implementation and i think that without the right mindset that's you know almost impossible to create right definitely and i i learned that pretty quickly working with <laughs> people did. so yeah. <laughs> yeah and i i hear that that's something that's important for you as well and i think that's really really great that we approach it in that way not just this blinders of you just have to do what i say it's like no, let's look at the person as a whole and take care of them as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And you must see a lot of people on a daily, weekly and yearly basis. And I know that we don't want to give too much of a vague advice today, but I do want to go down the route of common problems that people experience or common challenges, maybe is the better word that people experience. So if you had to put them in an order of three, what are the three biggest challenges that you find that people are having with their nutrition when they come to you? Really good question. So I'm going to combine the sports and athletic side with my other people who are trying to, you know, break down diets and just come up with the top three. So number one, I would say is that people don't even know what eating healthy looks like and they're frustrated and they have no confidence. It really is amazing. Almost everyone who comes to me, no matter what they come to me for, when we really boil it down to what they want, they want confidence that what they're eating is what they need to reach their goals. So that would be number one. Number two would just be lack of energy. A lot of people come to me and say, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm exercising. I feel like I'm eating pretty well, but I am just fatigued and exhausted all the time. And then number three would be in the sports realm is people just, they think they know what to eat, but they don't know what they need to eat for whatever goal they have, whether it's gaining muscle, losing fat, performing better, whatever it is. Um, I get a lot of high school students who they have had next to no nutrition training. They don't typically have dietitians working with the high school level. So it's really fun to go through their day and recognize, hey, this is how much you have to eat. And this is how often we have to do it. And it's really fun to just add in um, more and more. So 
Yeah. So those would be, those would be the three, the confidence, the lack of energy, and then just how to eat to perform better and to get the physique that I want. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge that most of us go through unless, I mean, your kids are going to be blessed growing up in a two parent nutrition <laughs> focused and dietitian household <laughs> or cursed yes. or cursed yeah they could go down the other <laughs> route but at the same time at least they're going to have the fundamentals right and i think that the big challenge especially when we look at the generation of our parents and those before it's not necessarily something that was ever really discussed and i think that that's what a lot of us then end up being confused by because we just take bits of information maybe we took a little bit of information from our parents but they probably took it from marketing and then we take a bit of information from school then we take a bit from marketing then maybe we're got access to social media or maybe we don't even take an interest and then all of a sudden we've got a bombarding nature of information but nothing really clear and precise of what to do with it right so then we go down this route and the amount of people i speak to when they first come to me and they're like hey i think i eat pretty healthy and you're like yeah the food choices are not too bad but your calories are probably about 1500 higher than they should be or it's the opposite way around is that you know maybe i'm don't know what the right thing is to eat but i'm only eating like 800 calories per day and i don't know what's going on here right so how do you think it's the best obviously going to an excess got to be one of the best things to do but how do you think we can create more nutritional education in people so that they know where to go and what to do without feeling super lost by all the information that's around them yeah i think the most important thing is to get trustworthy sources which is hard to find um you know social media is great i love it i use it but there are people who know nothing about nutrition besides what has worked for them, then blasting out into the world saying, this is what everyone needs to do. This is how everyone needs to eat. You'll look like me. And that's just not the case. So if you're going on social media for your information, that's fine. Just make sure that nutritionally, if you're looking for nutrition advice, follow people who are RDs, registered dietitians. In America, it's registered dietitians are the ones who have gone to school, taken the test, whatever it is in your country, that's a quick Google search. Look up what the name of the people are who are the experts in nutrition who've gotten actual education on it and follow those people. Same with exercise. Go to people who are certified in what they do and follow those people because they're, at least for dietitians, we have to follow a certain code of ethics. Everything we say to people has to be true, right? It has to be backed by science. So I'm a big science person. So I always recommend for people like follow the science. And, you know, if you're just Googling things and you're looking up, okay, how many calories do I need to eat? There could be blogs out there with people saying all sorts of things like don't go for blogs, right? Go for actual science backed information, websites that are credible, that are run by experts and try to try to ignore the the influencers and the people who are just doing it to make money doing it to whatever it is um there are people out there who know what they're talking about and who have your best interest at heart so seek those people out yeah i love that advice and i think i've cracked the code on influencers and i'm gonna <laughs> reveal all my secrets here but i think the challenge is is that when it comes to people who are very well educated usually they speak in well educated terms and maybe they don't do well yes. enough to simplify it whereas influencers on the other hand probably due to their lack of education more so than anything are able to make it in a very 
simple and digestible way and also in a very aesthetically pleasing way as well because they don't know too much so they're just kind of regurgitating the basics which actually people can resonate with and actually connect with so i think that you know people like yourself and i hope people like this podcast for example is a good example of bringing information that's kind of top of the tree in that sense but kind of delivering it in such a digestible way so i think that's really good advice and i think that maybe the biggest challenge is just making sure that information is accessible right a hundred percent And that, again, just like we were talking about in school, we're not really taught about the psychology side. We're also not really taught about how to take this big research science-y information and make it interesting and understandable for everyone. And that is so important. So to see more experts do that would be huge. Absolutely. And I want to come back to that top three of things that you're finding people experience and want to go to the energy part. That's a thing that so many people are going to be experiencing right now. I saw your reel the other day of when you were doing the, I have low energy starter pack. And I think a lot of people resonated with that a lot. Can you run through some of the main reasons why so many people are experiencing low energy and what are some of the things that you do to help them regain that? Yeah, great. So this is for people who kind of, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an adult, I'm active, I feel like I do the right things and eat pretty healthy, but I am exhausted all day. So the first, number one in the starter pack is skipping breakfast. And I don't want to sound like every other dietitian's breakfast is the most important meal of the day, this and that. It, It is important and this is why. Because when we eat breakfast, your body then has energy to use throughout the rest of the day, right? I always encourage people, it's important to eat throughout the whole day, but your body runs on carbs, unless you're keto adapted, which is a you know story for another, another episode. But for most people, our bodies run on carbs. We need to eat breakfast so that our body has something to turn into energy, Coffee's great. It gives you that little jolt. It's not real energy, right? It's, it's stimulating, but it's not energy that you can use throughout the day. So when you eat breakfast, your body burns that because you're getting up, you're going to work, you're working out, you're doing all of these things. So that's why breakfast is so important. So eating breakfast is number one. The second is I see so many people who say, I'm going to have a good day. And maybe they do eat breakfast, but they just have a couple eggs. That's their breakfast. Then they go on through their day and they say, oh, I'm going to be really healthy today. I'm going to eat a salad with chicken. And that's it. And that's lunch. Then they go through their day and they come home from work and it's 6 p.m. And they're starving because they haven't eaten enough food all morning and they haven't eaten any carbs. So when people chronically undereat carbs, that's when you are low in energy as well. And another, this ties in with number one as well. When I was talking about eating more earlier in the day, when you get home at 6 p.m. and you've eaten 500 calories that day, it's really hard to make the healthy choice because your body is just calling out for calories, for carbs. So you're going to scour your kitchen and get whatever, you know, the chips and the ice cream and whatever your body can get that's quick, easy energy, which is not always the healthiest thing. So then you're just setting yourself up for failure with that eating too healthy early in the day and then going way overboard in the the last third of the day. So we don't want that. So consistent eating throughout the day, consistent carb intake throughout the day. And then the third piece was hydration. So I love hydration because it's free. 
It's cheap. It's easy. You just drink more water, right? All you need is a cup. All you need is a water bottle. And I'm sure people listening have heard before, like hydration is important, but it's important because it helps bring the nutrients in our blood to our whole body. So it helps energize our muscles. It helps energize our brain. Super important. So those are the three. The first is eat breakfast. The second is eat carbs throughout the day. And the third is make sure that you're hydrated. I feel so many people are feeling like, did she just like describe my day-to-day life? Yes. Yes. I got so many, so many messages after the that reel about people are saying, I feel called out. This is me. And I, I am not a judgy person at all. Like I totally get it. I have days like this too, but it just does resonate with a lot of people because it's just how many of us have been the... Skipping breakfast and not eating a lot of carbs thing. Many of us have just been told like, that's healthy. That's going to help you lose weight when it's actually not. If you're compensating by eating a ton of carbs and way more calories later than you would have if you just spread it throughout the day. Absolutely. And that feels unhealthier as well, right? A lot of people think, well, you know, if I have 50 carbs at breakfast, 50 carbs at lunch or 50 carbs at dinner, it's like, it seems like a lot of food. But then the reality is, is that you have maybe nothing for breakfast and you have 20 at maximum that comes from your vegetables at lunch. And then you go ahead and eat the remaining 130 or whatever at dinner, if not more anyway. And then you end up feeling lethargic, bloated. Your sleep sucks because of it as well. And it's like, well, you ate those same 150 carbs, but the way that they've made you feel and the way your body has responded is completely the opposite of what it would have done if it was distributed in a smart way. So the one I want to come back to is the breakfast. So many people are an enormous fan of intermittent fasting right now. And that's what you have the big battle between. You have that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And then you have intermittent fasting is the key to your success in health and your weight loss goals. So where do you find yourself? Is there somewhere in the middle where we can find ourselves? Or is breakfast superior? Is intermittent fasting superior? What's your thoughts on all of that? Sure. And this is why... Nutrition's so interesting because I can give, we talked about this before we started recording, but I can give general information that would then be very different if I was speaking to a, a specific person. And this is where personalization comes in. But for intermittent fasting, it does work. Like I will just straight up the science, it does work, but only for people who are able and willing to eat in that way. And this is what I mean. Some people wake up and they are starving and they have to eat something or they're going to be in a bad mood until they do. Those people, if you do intermittent fasting and decide for your window to be from noon to eight, you're going to be miserable and it's probably not going to work. Some people wake up and they don't like eating breakfast and they don't actually get hungry till noon anyway. So if naturally your body is open to eating from noon to eight and you want to try intermittent fasting and you're still getting all of the calories, fat, protein, carbs, vegetables you need, I'm fine with it. It's actually not harmful if you're doing it in the right way. But I will say this, intermittent fasting isn't something that everyone should do. Like not everyone who wants to lose weight or be healthier should intermittent fast because there are many different ways to get into a calorie deficit And intermittent fasting will work for some, 
but portion control will work for others and focusing on a whole food diet will work for others. So there's no magic bullet and that's not a surprise, but for each person, depending on what your goals are, you just have to decide which approach works best for me. And intermittent fasting, like I will fully support it if someone wants to try that, try it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, don't worry because there are 40 other ways for us to try to get you to your goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's become a bit of a buzzword in the past few years or so. And as much as I think it can be beneficial to obviously keep you in that calorie deficit, restrict your eating window, which makes it a lot easier for people. At the same time, I think it's just a bandwagon that a lot of people are jumping onto. Like for me, it doesn't really suit me that much. Sometimes I do it more out of convenience or like not distracting myself from work versus actually wanting to do it, to be completely honest. And also my girlfriend loves it. So we're trying to find a happy medium between the two where I try and bring her eating window earlier and she tries to bring mine later. But I would much prefer, and I have another way around of doing it, which would be starting my eating window earlier and finishing earlier. I've spoken to a couple of different people who are also qualified nutritionists and dietitians as well. And they'd be like, you know, from a hormonal perspective, it might even suit your body a little bit better because cortisol is going to be higher in the morning. You don't want to be digesting a huge amount of uh, food and energy towards the back end of the day. So that's what I found to be a little bit more beneficial. So for those of people who may be like, well, I want to try this, but I I'm super hungry in the morning, I always give them that advice to give that a try and maybe extend that eating window just that little bit longer. It doesn't have to be eight. It can be nine. It can be 10 hours, right? Yeah, definitely. Doesn't matter where where it happens. And I totally agree with you as well. This is a great way to bring together what I was saying earlier about breakfast and intermittent fasting is, yeah, do it earlier. Do your window earlier. Then you get the benefits of all of it. You get the energy, you get it throughout the day. And it makes sense. After dinner, most of us aren't going out and doing a lot of movement and working out and doing all of these things. So we don't need as much energy, right, from our food. We, we need some still. It's still important. Eat dinner, definitely. But eating more earlier in the day is the way to go. Absolutely. And with that being said, I'm super curious because anytime I speak to someone who's maybe more focused on health than results, or maybe that's a bad way to put it, maybe more health than aesthetics at all costs is probably a better way to put it. I find it very, very interesting to get their take on how they balance the two, how they're able to deliver the results that their clients want in terms of sometimes wanting to get to minimal uh, percentage of body fat and wanting to lose a ton of weight, but also doing it in a way that honors their body and is full of promoting health as well. How do you balance the two, the aesthetic side of things and the health side of things? Really good question. So this would be different for the type of person I work with. For the people who are just trying to not diet anymore, they just want to learn how to eat that's healthy. For those clients, we actually don't look at weight or body fat percentage at all. And I make that very clear. Like before we work together, we talk and make sure like, I want to let you know, I'm not going to ask about your weight. I'm not going to ask about all of this because I want to focus on the habits. I want to make sure that you're eating and moving in a way that's healthy for you, physically, mentally, all of it. And that's the goal. And people sign on for that and they're actually relieved. They're like, oh good, I don't have to worry about about weighing myself. So that's very different. But I think what you're asking about is more like the sports side, the people who want to gain muscle, want to lose fat, want to have these performance metrics, body composition changes, but still honoring that balance. And for those people, it's very personalized. Like some people really do enjoy the tracking And if someone's open to tracking and they think it's going to be healthy mentally for them, we'll do it. Like tracking is such a good tool. 
But for everyone else who says, you know, I'm really trying to not track, I would more just rather know what it is I need to eat and trust my like hunger, fullness, things like that. We always talk about the 80-20 rule, which you maybe have heard before. It's eating healthy, being on it 80% of the time, and then 20% of the time leaving room for that extra, you know, chocolate, pizza, whatever it is that you like. So for those people, we'll always talk about, all right, how do you want this to look in your week, in your month? Are you a be on it, be that 80% six days of the week and then have one day where I'm not big on cheat days, but like one day where you eat some of the foods that maybe you wouldn't throughout the rest of the week. That works for some people. Some people would rather do breakfast, lunch, dinner, very healthy, but I know I'm going to go out to eat with my friends two times this week and then that's what it's going to look like. Or some people like to have a small treat every day. So they eat a healthy breakfast, lunch, dinner and then have some dessert every day. And that fits within that 80-20. So it really depends on the person and how they want to approach it. But in general, if you people can follow that 80-20 rule, you can still get the results you want. Not as fast if you're 100 and zero, right? But if for someone who has some time and they really want to enjoy their life, live that balance, but still see results, I always recommend 80-20 and then figuring out what that looks like for you. That's a, such an important piece. I was just about to say the big thing there is also everyone's 80-20 is slightly different, right? It's like yeah. my 80-20 might be different to yours and yours might be different to mine. And the challenge is, is that sometimes if we think our 80-20 is super imbalanced, yet we're not seeing results, maybe it's a little bit more 70-30 or 65-35 than you thought it was. And that's when you become maybe a little bit tripped up by the choices that you're making. So I think it's really important to establish that. And there's, are there some key principles that you would say that are maybe easier to quantify in terms of what 80-20 genuinely looks like? You mentioned a few examples of maybe like one quote-unquote cheat day that which neither of us like using, but one day where it's uh -huh. a little bit more flexible, or maybe someone who is maybe going to eat pretty consistently seven days during the week, but they're going to integrate more fun things into their daily diet. What would you recommend personally? I'll talk about which one I'd recommend first. Personally, I like the approach of every day allowing for something fun because then we get out of that all or nothing mindset or of today has to be perfect and I can't have any of the fries that my friends are offering me at dinner or whatever. Like that mindset can be really dangerous because then I see once people are supposed to have their healthy day and then they ac accidentally eat some fries, then it's just a, you know, okay, now I'm going to eat all the cookies and eat all this, effect, yeah. this, this, and that. So I really appreciate, and for myself, how I live my life is every day I make the healthy choices because I, I know how I feel when I make the healthy choices, but if I want something like the ice cream yesterday, we get it, but I get a small amount. Like I got one scoop and that was fine. You enjoy it. But know that every day you can have those 20% foods, but thinking before you go for that, like, how am I going to feel? Is this something I really want? And if the answer is, yeah, it is something I really want. And if I have a small amount, I'll feel fine. Go for it. That's that's where the 20% could come in. And that takes some practice. It's honestly way harder than a diet. Like a diet has rules. A diet is like, 
you can eat this, you cannot eat this. And so it's very straightforward. It takes some practice to do the 80-20 lifestyle of, you know, I, I eat pretty healthy and I choose when I want to have those 20% foods. It's a practice. Yeah, I completely agree. But at the same time, what I like about it is it's something that you can use for the rest of your life. A diet is not, right? So even though right. a diet is fairly easy to follow because of the rules, it's not something you're going to be following forever. And if you do you're probably going to find yourself with some challenges, right? So I think that that piece of saying, okay, well, maybe intuitive eating or 80-20 or the, some of the more long-term lifestyle approaches may be a little bit harder to develop. They're the ones that you're probably going to lean on for the rest of your life as well. And do you have any tips on how we can start to implement those in a little bit more of an easy manner when it comes to not having rules, having a bit more blurred lines? What's some of the tips that you give your clients to help them maintain things that are a little bit more long-term versus the hard and fast rules of a diet? Yeah, yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is this tool that I'll use called the hunger and fullness scale. And some people listening may have heard of it, but it's a good way of quantifying in numbers how we're feeling hunger and fullness wise. So on the low end of the scale, you know, one to four is when you're super, super hungry. You know, those are the hunger numbers and they all have a different feeling associated with each number. Then there's the zone in the middle where it's, I'm a little hungry, I'm satisfied, and I'm a little full. Like that's in the middle. And then on the high high end, six and above, those are the fullness numbers. And a 10 is just like, I feel sick. I've eaten way too much. So that is something that I will encourage people to mentally check in. That if you can follow that and you can learn your body's cues of when you get hungry, what hunger feels like, when you get full and what fullness feels like, and use this this scale to check in, that could be super, super helpful. And it's not something you need to carry with you, laminate, put it in your pocket. Like it could just be in your head and you recognize, oh, I'm at about a four. Like my first sign of hunger is happening. If I don't eat something, I'm going to be down to a two real fast and then I'm going to eat everything around me. So it's using tools like that to learn your body and learn. It's trying to talk to you, right? And when we're on a diet, we're ignoring that. We're saying, well, it's 12. So I have to eat my two servings of vegetables and my one serving of protein. That totally is not relying on our hunger cues. So being in touch with that is huge. And again, it takes work. It's a lot harder than just knowing exactly what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner every day. But it's worth the practice. So that's something that anyone, you can just Google it, hunger fullness scale. There's a million out there. You can check them out. But that's a really helpful tool that I'll share with people. Yeah, and I think that awareness piece is really important because if a lot of us don't know what the difference between hunger and cravings is. You know, it's become so synonymous with each other to then almost mimic each other or even dehydration is another matter of fact, right? There's so many of us being triggered by marketing, by previous coping mechanisms, all this stuff that's tied back to more the psychological side of things that we've lost sight of what our hunger signals are. And also we've spent years in diets practicing ignoring those, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, if I'm hungry, that's fine. It's just a sign that I'm losing weight, quote unquote. So let me reinforce this. And, you know, as much as sometimes 
ignoring or maybe not ignoring but recognizing that hunger necessarily isn't the cue to eat immediately if you're trying to work towards a certain goal it's also not a cue to say okay well hunger doesn't exist and I only eat on this schedule so I think yeah coming back to trying to find your hunger signals and understanding what they are is so crucial because I think we've lost them along the way right yeah we have and it's it's not easy but it's a tool that you'll use for the rest of your life and it really is empowering to know that to and also to know on the other end like when i eat a plate it takes typically about 20 minutes for your brain and your stomach to connect and realize i am full so knowing what that means for you right instead of just responding like well i have to finish my plate and all that that's on there because it's there and i have to get a second plate because that's what i do it's being more intentional, being more mindful, and knowing that if we're really able to read what our body's trying to tell us and respond accordingly, then you're going to get to a weight and a place where you are healthy, where you're meant to be. It just takes a lot of trust and practice. And kind of what you were asking about earlier is how did you break away from the restrictiveness, from the tracking, from the control. It's just doing it and seeing what happens, right? And if it does end up going down a path you don't want to, like you know how to make some changes and bring it back to where you want to be. So it's that's what it's all about. It just takes it takes a little more effort than maybe some people are willing to to do, but I definitely think it's worth it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And another complicated part of the health and fitness piece is supplementation. I want to get your take on supplementation, where you find its utility, how much of it are you using? Do you find it just as important as nutrition or is it just a nice accessory? Very keen to get your take on that. Definitely. So I am not against supplements at all. My motto is food first. Like in a perfect world, if we could all get everything we need from food, that would be amazing. But with many people, especially with athletes and active people and people training for marathons and Ironmans, it's really hard to get everything you need. So in those cases, I am very open to supplementation. Now, I always add this caveat of supplements are not regulated. They Anyone can put anything in a bottle and sell it and no one is checking what is in there. So it could be pretty dangerous to just buy a random supplement. So in that case, what I recommend is getting a supplement that has been third-party certified. So there are a few companies out there. One is called NSF, one is Informed Choice, and another is USP. There are other ones, but those are the big three. And they will go in and look at supplements and then say, okay, what's in the bottle is on the label and nothing else. And then they'll put their little logo on the bottle. So those ones you can know, okay, this is at least safe. Like I know that what's in the bottle is on the label and that's it. So always, if you choose to get a supplement, make sure it's third-party certified. And then when it comes to supplements that actually work, there are ones that actually have a lot of research behind it and are really like worth your money. And for those, the ones that come to mind are protein powder is a great one. Creatine, if you're trying to gain muscle, there's a lot of research behind creatine. Vitamin D is one that a lot of people could benefit from, omega-3s. And then obviously any other vitamin that if you get a blood test back and you're low, take that vitamin. It's going to make that number go up. But for at least supplement-wise, the protein and the the creatine and omega-3s would be ones that 
I would recommend to people. There are other ones and other ones that could be beneficial to people as well, but that would just be a person by person basis. Absolutely. And what about magnesium? That's one that I hear spoken about a lot. I know it's very, very beneficial. And I know a lot of us are just as insufficient maybe as we are with vitamin D. So what's your take on magnesium? Yeah, magnesium's a really good one. We actually just had a our most recent podcast episode, we did a section on, on magnesium and it is important because it's involved in almost every single bodily process and a lot of people don't get enough. So that is one that I would say it's not going to hurt to take it. If you take a third party certified one, definitely take it. Just be careful. I talked about this on the podcast as well. It, um, magnesium citrate it's actually a type of magnesium that gives you diarrhea and that they give to people before colonoscopies. So don't take that one. But there are other forms of magnesium. Just make sure you look at the label, not magnesium citrate, the other ones, and they could be potentially beneficial. It's probably not going to hurt. It's also a lot of supplements out there that have magnesium in them that are meant for sleep, like it's a calming effect. And some people really enjoy those as well. So again, not something that's going to hurt. It may help. Just make sure you get a third party certified one. So you know that what you're getting is is safe. Yeah, I think sticking to the fundamentals from that perspective of just making sure that when you go down that route, you're not just putting every single thing into your basket, because it has a nice description about what it will do for you. I think my take on supplementation is very similar to yours in terms of just get down to the very, very basics of maybe what you would derive from food or what's missing from food. And if there are any other gaps there, then it might be worth supplementing with that. I mean, that's the key word in supplementation, right? It's to supplement. It's not to, you know, add on top for the fun of it. Right? Exactly. So I think that's a big key in terms of making sure that we go down that route. And yeah, I've been very minimal effective dose when it comes to supplements in the past. Once again, did my full circle thing, took everything in sight and wanted to see what stuck. And now it's just a case of saying, okay, if I'm going to take something, I want it to be very, very high quality and also only what I truly need at this moment. Yeah. Cause you could spend a lot of money on supplements. Like there uh -huh. are ones out there that are just crazy and it's unfortunate, especially throughout my career, looking at all these supplements that people send me, you can't trust what they say on them. And they're, they're always very, you know, this may help with heart health. This may help with this and that. And they say they have to say that legally because for some of these supplements, there's really not hardly any scientific research behind it. So you can't trust what any supplement says. But if you're curious, I'm always happy to take a look at supplements and let people know, like, is this something that's worth taking? Is it worth your money? Is the potential effect going to be worth what you are paying for it. Supplements are fascinating and a big part of nutrition, but I do always say it's that 5%. Like for my athletes, 95% is going to be sleep, training, stress relief, all of that nutri good nutrition. And then that little 5% you can get from supplementation on as long as all these other basic things are being done. 100%. And if you think about the 30 pounds that you might spend on a single supplement per month, you may as well put that seven pounds 50 towards high quality food. Right? Yes. And I think that you're going to get way more from that. Or you save the amount you would have spent in a year and you put it towards a new mattress. So you I was going to say that too. Yes, that's <laughs> so good. That's so good. You cannot put a price on good sleep. I'm not a sleep expert, but just that's what all the research says, like 
definitely buy a new mattress over stupid supplement that says it's going to do all these things for you. That's it. And I think anecdotally speaking, we can all experience the benefits of better sleep. Yet when you ask someone to tell you about the benefit they gain from a supplement, it's pretty rare to be honest. So I think that that's, yeah, that's the route we want to go down. But I do feel that that is maybe becoming more and more into our awareness, you know, in the sense of like, okay, this supplement on the shelf doesn't seem to be doing anything. I've been taking it for months. I go back, my blood work still looks the same as it did before. And I think people are waking up to saying, okay, well, we really need to be buying things that are super high quality. Maybe finding that is the challenging part, but I feel that we're coming away from terrible low price supplements to hopefully into like a a middle ground of people starting to look towards, okay, let me just not pick the Amazon bestseller or the lowest price here, but okay, what actually has the ingredients I'm looking for? And maybe with the advice that you've given them, having the stamp on that as well. So before we do wrap up for today, I do want to ask you a couple of final questions. I want to talk about your podcast, obviously RDs V versus BS. And I'm curious to hear about, obviously we're giving some spoilers to your podcast here, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to head over. But what are some of the biggest <laughs> biggest supplements or nutrition protocols that you've broken down that you've just quantified as BS, like 100% emphatically, absolutely full stop, no other, you know, no other way of looking at it? The first one that comes to mind, we did a whole episode on the medical medium. Have you heard about him? The celery juice guy? No, I've not. Oh gosh. Yeah, you're not missing out. But that was, oh my gosh. He basically said like no, no science involved. He said like he was told by the spirits that celery juice is going to heal everything. And like it has these secret properties in them that is just everyone needs to drink it and this and that. And I'm telling it to you and it sounds ridiculous, but he has millions of followers and people who really believe that this stuff is, is real. So that was a, that was a full stop. Like this is ridiculous sort of episode. (laughs) We've done a lot of MLMs, So multi-level marketing companies who are basically taking protein powder and repackaging it and charging way more for it and saying like, you know, it's better because it's from our company, but they're just gouging people for it. I'm going to look up our list of podcasts. I want to give you some good, good answers here. The medical medium was the first one that came to mind. Have you heard of the liver king? Yes. I was actually going to ask you about him. So the timing could not have been better. We had an episode that came out September 26th of 2022 talking about the liver king and he's all about eating organ meats and the carnivore diet and all of that and how that's like the way to go and he has this super ripped body because all he does is eat liver and organs and then i think it was just one one or two months later it came out the whole scandal of he spends ten thousand dollars a month on steroids and all of this stuff so that was a very satisfying one like we were ahead of the curve on that we called him out on his bs and then the rest of the world saw it so that was that was an exciting one as well oh and then i'll have one more so we did an episode on the blood type diet which says if you are a positive then you need to eat this way and if you're o negative you need to eat this way and no no science behind that one so that one was an easy bs stamp but we also have a lot of ones that are kind of in the middle like collagen like there is some research behind collagen is it enough for us to say that every person needs to take collagen probably not so 
It's not always a super easy BS stamp that we give, but we always do our best to, even if it seems ridiculous, like the medical medium will at least look up some science and see if we can find anything. But yeah, there have been quite a few that were from the from the beginning, we knew we were going to give them the BS stamp, but it's just fun to talk about them anyway. Yeah, I love that. And I hope that that podcast lives for many, many years and you continue to put your stamp on all these diets and these people. And yeah, I think that you could probably do a lot on influencers as well. Yeah, we've done we've done a few on influencers. More to come. More to come. Ooh. But yes. I'm looking forward to it. With that being said, I've got a couple of final questions for you, Emily. It's been a great conversation. And one I have for you is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Really good question. So the impact I want to make on the world is to clear up the confusion around nutrition and to help people feel empowered instead of demoralized by diet culture. Diet culture has just destroyed so many people mentally. And I see it on a daily basis. People reaching out saying, still count all my calories and I don't eat more than a thousand a day. And I'm still scared of carbs and all of this stuff. And I just want people to know that, hey, this is the truth about nutrition. These are the things that are worth focusing on. And you don't have to feel guilt and feel bad about yourself because diet culture wants you to. So that would be my goal for everyone to just feel at peace with their nutrition, to know that what they're eating is right for them. And then they can focus on other things in their life. So it's not this constant weight on them. I don't know what to eat. And when I do eat, I feel guilty. That's a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. And the amount of headspace you can free up just by having that piece of the puzzle just like ticked off and not having to worry about it is insane. And imagine all the things that we could do in this world if everyone's health and fitness was just something that was quite simple and easy for them to work with. So I love that mission a lot. And Emily, where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing or listen to your podcast? Yes. So Instagram would be the best. My Instagram for my business is Emily underscore RD underscore. And then we also have a podcast Instagram, which is RD's underscore vs underscore bs underscore pod it's a mouthful either of those would be the best i also have my website emilyzorn.com where you can find anything you need to know perfect i'll make sure it's all in the description below but emily thank you so much for your time today thank you for clearing up so much of the nutritional world i really appreciate your time today thank you so much elliot it's been a pleasure and that was the simply fit podcast i hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode i feel inspired to improve your health and well-being be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.